Hello, welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 241. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm pretty good. This week on the show, we'll be looking at Slam Dance 2017. We'll be covering a variety of films that are premiering at Slam Dance this year, which is happening right now in Park City, Utah. Fantastic festival. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful festival. And not to get into to too many spoilers for what we're going to be talking about, but I think that this is one of the best slam dances I've ever had the privilege of checking out. This is, what, our fourth yeah. one that we've covered? And I think you might it's, be right. It's been, and, and I'm still, I mean, the, the festival just started yesterday so there's still going to be uh more things to watch but as of right now it's it's been phenomenal we'll also be going over someone we'll be watching on the watch list although i don't know about you kevin but i only have like one other thing since i've been cramming some slam dance uh we'll be going over some movie predictions new on video on demand blu-ray releases remember you can send us an email at podcast at filmpulse.net join in on the conversation Send us a tweet at FilmPulseNet. And if you like what you hear, consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber at Patreon.com for just a buck a month. Just like our latest Patreon subscriber, Micah Van Hove. Oh, really? Yeah. Does that name sound familiar to you? Yeah, that's the director of Menthol. It is the director of Menthol. He's also a uh, pretty great cinematographer. So thank you so much, Micah. Really appreciate it. And this is not... You know, uh, he, he didn't ask us to do this or anything, but I'm going to plug his stuff anyway. Uh-oh. You should check out check out his IMDb page. Look at some of his movies. Check out Menthol. Check out some of his other uh, shorts and things because uh, he's definitely somebody that's worth looking at. Uh, before we get into the reviews, I think I'd be remiss in saying that uh, not not covering the fact that we're in day two of the apocalypse right now. Have you been watching any of this this craziness that's happening after the inauguration? A little bit. Following a little bit of this. It's, what? It's a bit. It's a bit much. I I have so many mixed emotions about what's happening right now because, uh, like, I'm worn out and it's day two. The you know the inauguration itself was a complete shit show, and I loved I love all of the the pictures that are coming out uh showing how many people were there and just the empty. Just the empty stands and empty bleachers everywhere. Which and then, I do, I do want to point this out because a lot of people are making this into a big thing that like people weren't there. But there's two things to this that you gotta realize. Number one, most of his supporters either a probably don't have the money to travel there, and b probably can't get off work to travel there. Now another thing, and this is a big one because you know this, all right, especially where where I'm at and where you grew up, the people that support him will not go to a city because yeah. they are a hundred percent certain that they are going to get mugged and or murdered because that's it's actually a city. true. It's a city and cities are scary. That's actually quite true. So I think that's a main reason a lot of people weren't there because they're just terrified of cities. So yesterday or the, the day before yesterday was the inauguration. Yesterday was the women's March, which, uh, you know, it's like I, I felt down about the inauguration and then something like this women's march happens and it just kind of 
it kind of makes me feel better about things. You know, it, it's amazing. I don't know if you saw the numbers on this, but the turnout was absolutely incredible. It was 10 times, 10 times that of the inauguration. There were marches on every continent, including Antarctica. In D.C. alone, there were twice as many people that showed up for the Women's March than the inauguration. I mean, it's just seeing a lot of the, 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 the tweets and my Facebook feed and stuff, it just it kind of makes me feel hopeful that the, the next four years aren't going to be a complete and utter disaster, which throws this country into you know the dark times. It remains to be seen. I love the, I don't know if you saw that there was like the, the big press conference about the turnout of the inauguration and it's like you're wasting like this is an actual thing you're doing this now what is and i love the also the uh the video of the 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 nazi guy getting punched (laughs) in the face that was pretty that was pretty fantastic what's his name richard spicer or spence richard richard spencer you're mixing spencer sean spicer's the the press secretary melting the two together yeah he got punched in the face that was pretty cool i like the conversation that that started where people were like violence is never okay and then a lot of uh people were like well it's violence against a nazi (laughs) yeah come on like if you're even considering back in the nazi shut the fuck up yeah that guy's such a piece of shit he deserves to get punched in the face and i i loved the video and i I don't know if any have been released yet, but I can't wait for the many, many internet memes that will be coming out as a result of that video. Oh, yeah. Very excited. But I, I, I am very, <clears throat> very happy to see what's happening now and the fact that people are taking to the streets and just not sitting idly by and you know letting this just happen and we're keeping everything in check. And I think that that needs to continue to happen. I think that just letting it go is not going to be an option at this point because I am, I know a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of, I don't know how you stand on this, but I I feel like protesting is a good thing. A lot of people think that it doesn't do anything and there's no point, but I'm a, I'm a believer in the power of protest. I think think you just got to couple it with something like protesting. They're all right, but you got to couple it with something. You gotta actually have a plan here. You gotta be doing something. Yeah, it remains to be seen if that if that's gonna come out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. Very, very troubling times that we live in. Let's talk about some slam dance stuff. Let's lighten it up a bit. I was thinking we could start with withdrawn. All right. Just because that's the first one I happen to see, and it's the first one on my list here. So all of these films are premiering, having the world premieres at this year's Slam Dance Film Festival. Um, none of them are going to be readily available as of this recording. However, I would I would suggest that you you know add these to your watch list because a lot of these I think are going to probably fly under the radar. Uh, so Withdrawn mm-hmm. is directed by Adrian Murray. I have a synopsis here. Short on funds, a guy hatches a plot to scam the owner of a lost credit card. Now, Kevin, <laughs> unfortunately, in, in the main character, Aaron, I kind of saw myself in him, and it, and it bothered me. <laughs> it really kind of motivated me to be like, I do not want to be this guy. 
<laughs> I am deathly afraid to become this guy because I could see myself becoming this guy if I don't force myself to be motivated about things in life. <laughs> uh, this movie is largely unscripted. It's based off of a 15-page outline, so uh, a lot of the conversations and things that happen are completely ad-libbed. I think that that's a, sort of a double-edged sword in this case. A lot of the conversations that occur don't really go anywhere. Some of them are interesting, but um, I feel like the the problem with withdrawn is that there's just not a lot there to go on. Yeah, because I remember we talked about this earlier off the show, and I kind of said the same thing, and I didn't know what you pointed out was the you know based on a fifteen page outline, <clears throat> and uh, I could tell. I could definitely tell that there there yeah. wasn't much uh, there wasn't much planning going into this one. It seems, um, and like I said, I just maybe next time have a have an outline, have a you know kind of like an agenda of what kind of movie you're gonna make. Yeah, because he, there, even sorry, go ahead. There's like, and I say in my review that from like an execution standpoint, it's admirable. You know. You can tell that there that there's skill here, and the way that the you know shot composition, the like the pace of it, everything, a lot of those aspects work. It's just unfortunately there's nothing to it. There's nothing to warrant this being made. You know, there's nothing to warrant me watching these scenes. Right, and I think that it would be one thing if the synopsis was actually part of the movie or played a bigger role in the movie. Yes, he finds a credit card on the ground and he tries to figure out the pin to extract funds from an ATM with the credit card, but spoiler, he doesn't do it. Like, he can't figure out the pin. (laughs) Yeah, it literally takes up, I mean, if you put all those small scenes together, you know, it takes up like an eighth of the movie, if that even. I mean, it's such a small part. I mean, more screen time is devoted to him playing with the Rubik's Cube than him trying to get funds from this misplaced credit card. And I think that's largely the point of it, is that this guy is just kind of floating through life with no real ambitions. He's got no money, but he's trying to go to Europe, and he's just kind of, you know, he's just a slacker meandering through existence. And to to go back to your point about the, the shot composition and everything like that, I think that, I, I will agree that I think that it was all, it was uh, very nicely framed. Like the opening, I think it was the opening scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where the, that was like riding the bikes in that little yeah. way and that, how it's like tucked back. Yeah, I love that. I thought that, that was a great way to open open the film. Yeah, because I yeah. mean, it's these are all largely just long takes, static camera. And, you know, it works well. The execution of it is, it's great. Like I said, there's talent there. It's just unfortunately you're watching nothing really. And what you know, I guess that's it's kind of the point. Like you said, he's a you know a slacker, just kind of meandering through life, just kind of drifting along here. But I don't necessarily need to see that on film. Like I don't right. Like that's not interesting to me. Like, and I feel like there's a I lot. Of, there's a lot of movies that kind of yeah. With that there, idea as well, there's plenty of you know slackers doing nothing. I don't need another film about them because I can guess what they're going to do. They're going to do nothing. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, in the beginning of this film, I was, I was kind of, I was getting into it, you know, cause I was kind of interested to see where it was going. But, you know, after a while you kind of realize like, this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. I didn't, I was pretty sure that it was going to go somewhere. I mean, I was obviously wrong, but I was like, oh, this is this is going to go somewhere. It has to, right? Like, something's going to happen here. Like, with the credit card, I was thinking that he was going to do something with the credit card. But no, unfortunately. I mean, the the ending of it did, it paid off a little bit. I'll give yeah, it that. I, I think the ending was great. but I did love the way that it ended, but it was just unfortunate of everything that I had to sit through to get to that point. And if I had to hear that guy telling his story about riding the bus with his French fries, <laughs> I mean, that story just went on and on. It was so repetitive. Oh. It's funny. It's funny because a lot of these sequences are basically just Aaron listening to other people tell stories about their lives. And, and I kind of like that, that he was just, it was largely just him kind of. <laughs> Sit, sitting there observing from afar, you know? Yeah, and I don't even think he was really interested in anything anyone was saying. He, he at least pretended to be engaged, though. It didn't, and I, it didn't... In, in the, only, the only time that he's really interacting or talking is when he's having the, the Skype conversations, mm-hmm. which I could never really tell if like, that person on the other end was actually there because they never really interacted back that often. It's just a and lot it, of one-sided conversations. And when he's playing video games, he's mm-hmm. chatting it up on the video games. No, it was a, it was an interesting movie. I just, uh, yeah, the big thing for me was that just there wasn't quite enough plot for me. Yeah, and I mean, you don't even need, not even to say plot, you know, just like an exploration of, you know, some sort right. of, I mean, there's just, there wasn't much, it's not like a character study. It's not No, yeah, he, he was basically just kind of a blank slate, this guy. Yeah. They, they didn't just, really get too much into his it's psyche. Just, it's just a bunch of blank slates. Yeah. Laying around doing nothing. Overall, though, I still enjoyed it. I still found it to be entertaining and pretty well made. So uh, as far as scores go, I will go ahead and throw a six out for Withdrawn. I give it like a five, five and a half. I would definitely, you know... I'll definitely see more. Like I'll definitely check out Adrian Murray's next film. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it's not about a slacker doing nothing because we don't need we don't need any more of those. And no, we, we definitely have a lot don't of those. need. What we definitely don't need is if it's going to be about a slacker doing nothing. We definitely don't need it to be like an improv, you know, based on a fifteen-page outline. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. guess that kind of like it's kind of connected to them being slackers, I guess. <laughs> but we just we don't need that. I'm sorry. Or at least I don't need that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that's withdrawn. Staying, staying in Canada, we'll move on and do Dim the Fluorescence. So Dim the Fluorescence is directed by Daniel Worth. I have a synopsis here. A struggling actress and an aspiring playwright pour all their creative energy into the only paying work they can find, role-playing demonstrations for corporate training seminars. <laughs> when they book the biggest gig of their careers at a, at a hotel conference, they commence work on their most ambitious production to date. Now, Kevin, you have a review for this one up on the site as well. Your withdrawn review, you have that as a draft? 
Okay. Your withdrawn review will probably be up by the time this airs. So I'll start this one off. I liked Dim the Fluorescence. I didn't love it. The the really the only issue I had was there there was some kind of there was some odd I don't know if it was editing choices or it had kind of a weird vibe to it at some at some points it had a, a slightly weird I don't want to say tone but the the way that it was cut sometimes felt a little off to me and I don't I'm not I can't really put my finger on it but it seemed strange and that that was kind of the the vibe that I got from it is the the level the, the style of comedy in this is it's kind of quirky. I felt like it went on a little bit too long. This is over two hours long. Yeah, this and, is, <laughs> and, and and I felt like it could have been could have been trimmed down a little bit because um, I I feel like it just it just goes on a little bit too long. But overall, I did I did enjoy it quite a bit. I did find it funny, and I liked uh, the the main characters and the dynamic of the main characters quite a bit. I do remember, you know, kind of discussing this one too, where I kind of picked this one out to cover it, not really knowing anything about it. And then, you know, I found out that it's over two hours long, which just right off the bat, I was like, man, for a slam dance title, you should not be doing that. Yeah. For your first film, it should not be two hours, especially quirky comedy. No. But uh, I got to say, I was quite surprised by this one. I ended up loving this one. I wasn't... uh, I did not really think that going in. I was pretty sure, based on the runtime alone and the synopsis, that that it, uh, it probably wasn't going to work out for me. But I was surprised. It totally did. It's just so damn absurd. It is very absurd. <laughs> they, their corporate, their demonstrations that they do. It just and I love that it just started off with that first one, and it's just it's so serious and it's such an unbelievable production. And I don't know if it helps because I've had to sit through some of these with my work. And, you know, the, the talent that I'm used to <laughs> in seeing these, uh, these workshops, demonstrations, uh, it was quite something. And just to have that to be right off the bat and just to see how, you know, like dedicated and committed they were to, a, like the first one is just about like how to handle a customer service complaint. But it's so much more. Yes, they turned it into quite a production. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. It gets so heavy. I just, I, I also love that fact that they make all of their demonstrations really, really heavy. Like there's, they deal with some serious stuff. Especially the final one with. It was just about what leadership in time of crisis or whatever. And they turn it into a whole thing about alcoholism. Yeah, and just this person's life is falling apart, and their marriage is failing, and it's this whole thing. And I love that they even have the you know the sit down with the you know the guy that works in the office. Then he's kind of going over their their spec script, and he's just like, "Well, you can't have broken glass on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you can't do. You know, do it." And alcoholism seems kind of dark. It's just I, but I gotta say I was the the main thing that got me was early stages. You're right. It's this quirky comedy, and it's pretty absurd, and it's pretty funny. It's kind of dry, and then out of nowhere it just kind of changes and it gets really serious. Mm-hmm. And then especially the ending where yeah. it kind of they kind of go off script of what their whole thing was. And it's just like, oh, this isn't a quirky comedy anymore. This is actually like really serious. 
And I thought they did a fantastic job writing wise of like the little clues throughout. Mm-hmm. I really didn't pay attention to her too. Like, you know, like uh, Audrey's character taking the pill. Right. Like every, every so often. I didn't really think anything of that. And that kind of comes back into, and then the, you know, I want to take a bath. And she ends up like running out. It's just like, oh, she just wanted to take a bath. But then later on, you, you know, you kind of figure out the significance of that. Right. And I, I liked how they, they melded the, the performance piece into as a reflection on what was happening in their real lives and in their, in their friendship. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I got to say, I think that was the, the two big things that really made this thing work was the writing and then the performances from uh, Claire Armstrong and Naomi uh, Squarna. I think that without that, like this just, like this shouldn't work to me. Like reading the synopsis and knowing that it's two plus hours and it's a first feature, I'm just thinking this is not going to work. There's no way. But somehow they pulled this off. I like the look of it too. Um, I think that choosing this kind of muted, pale color palette uh, is, it really lends itself to the type of work that they do. You know, these like corporate. Yeah. And yeah. Everything feels very kind of sterile and just bland and colorless. And I think that that really, it, it almost reminded me of um, Riley Stern's um, Faults and kind of the look of that. Hmm. This one, for me, out of everything that I've seen so far, this was the biggest surprise. And I think so far, this is the one I like the most. Oh, wow. Which I was, I was not ready for that. I did not think that's how this was going to play out. I could have, uh, I, I could have done with it being tightened up a little bit, but. I mean, uh, I, mean I think that, I think that's definitely a, I can understand that. You know what I mean? Because I, I could see that too. I could say the same thing. But for me, the ending, I think. The way that that was handled and the kind of the shift from comedy to drama was kind of, you know, with it being seamless. I think that that, that made up for a lot of it. But you're right. There are, there's like towards the beginning, I think you could, uh, especially that party that they went to. Mm-hmm. I think you definitely could have cut some of that down. Well, they spend a lot of time because at one point, the, the, the moment that you mentioned where one of the two, she leaves, what they do is they follow one and then they change perspectives and then they show where she was when she was gone and i think that that eats up a lot of time and uh taking the time to develop the the whole um sort of love story that that occurs that takes up a lot of time as well i'm not saying that it shouldn't be in there um because that that is kind of one thing that is surprising about this is that the the characters are so fully developed in this movie like these are pretty complex characters and they spend a lot of time on really developing these characters these two leads and um i i do think that it benefits the film greatly Oh, definitely i don't think the film works without having that in there and again i think that's a combo of the writing and the performances because they are i mean they're really complex characters for a film a two-hour quirky comedy about <laughs> two people that two you know white collar workshop seminars yeah you know what i mean like yeah. why 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 is this the setting that i'm finding fantastic writing and great performances i was not i was not prepared for that definitely uh all right what are you going to give dim the fluorescence well, I think I feel bad because I think my review's are already up. It is was, up. I think it was, I gave it a seven. seven. 
I did a yeah. seven. I think I might go like a seven point five. Might even I might. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stay at the seven point five right now. Okay. I'm gonna throw out a probably around a seven on this one. Six six and a half seven somewhere in there. No, you know what? I'll stay with the seven on this one. Uh, really, this this was a surprise for me too, because um, I I really didn't know anything about this one going into it, and uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. So that's dim the fluorescence. I would say certainly add that one to your watch list. Definitely. I, I have no idea what I feel. I feel like that one should get picked up for distribution. I hope so. I mean, it's just, and I think that's the number one thing here with this slam dance lineup and slam dance in general. The, you actually have titles where people are trying things, right? That other this isn't you know like Sundance. You kind of have a lot of these films kind of follow a formula. Yeah, they just go through the motions a lot. Yeah, of them. this is these titles. They, I mean, they're trying some, and to do that in your first film too. Yeah, that brazen. Yeah, that's that's the thing I like about Slam Dance. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it um, at the end when we kind of wrap things up. Let's move on. Talk about our next movie. Dave made a maze. You sure did. I love the title on that, by the way. <laughs> big big fan of the title. Uh, this is directed by Bill Watterson. Now I should mention that with Slam Dance, these are all debuts. So the way that Slam Dance works is these. These are all feature debuts. Uh, some of these directors did some short films. Most of them, this is this is their their debut. So yeah, that, I guess I guess that's for the, the competition films, right? Right, competition. Yeah, anything that's in competition, it's got to be a debut. And I think that it also has to be. There's a budget restriction too. I can't remember what it is, but I think it's like a, I want to say like it's a million or less for the budget. Um, so Dave made a maze. I have a synopsis here. Dave, an artist who has yet to complete anything significant in his career, builds a fort in his living room out of pure frustration, only to wind up trapped by the, the fantastical pitfalls, booby traps, and critters of his own creation. Now, uh, when the Slam Dance lineup first came out, and I kind of did a little brief overview of it, this is this is. This one caught my eye immediately. And after I read the synopsis, I was like, oh, that has to go on my list. Like, I have to see this movie. And um, we'll start it with you, Kevin. What did you think of Dave Made a Maze? Man, this one's a tough one because surface level, just, you know, turn the brain off. Just go along for the ride. It's pretty damn enjoyable. It's entertaining. I had a good time. But if you do kind of like think about it a little bit more, you know, just go a little bit deeper. It's just like it's you go into some place that I don't want to go. I'm just like, no, I don't I don't like this. I don't like what it stands for. But just the surface level stuff. I love it. I mean, he makes a cardboard maze <laughs> for it. Well, it should be. It's not a maze. It's a labyrinth. A labyrinth. Right? Yeah, it is a labyrinth because there's a minotaur and everything. And just the amount of creativity that goes yeah. into the sets of this because one, you know, it kind of starts out where you, you, you find out he's in the maze and once they finally go inside, it's just, it's everything at one. Yeah. Like, it, I, this is adventure wise. I was like, yes, thank you. God, this is what know, I want. Yeah. It was almost like, this is what I wanted beyond the gates to be like, 
I wanted it to be more because like every room they go into has a completely different look. It has a completely different feel. There's like a whole different mechanic to that room. And the level of creativity in, in this is just completely off the charts. Like there were set, there were times where, you know, they would go into a certain room and I'd just be like, holy crap. They, like this is a real set. I mean, this isn't like bullshit green screen CG or anything like this. Yeah. They had to really make these these sets out of cardboard and paper and construction paper and everything. And it was just, it was just so impressive to me, uh, especially like the, <laughs> I think probably my favorite was the, the forced perspective room where they walk in and you think that there's like the, like the coffee, the, the tea, um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The teacups and the, the chair and everything. <laughs> like it's just, there's a lot of really kind of weird things going on inside the labyrinth and uh a lot of it almost every every bit of it worked for me it's it's like a whimsical cube yes it is of cardboard and like when they first go into the room where there's like trash up to their you know like almost up to their shoulders their chest height and there's the big giant cardboard like stone face reminded me of omek from legends of the yeah exactly and then you have like the origami birds up on the sides and it's just like yes Yes, I would love to do this for the next hour. And just and, uh, like when people would get killed, and it would just be like the yeah, that was <laughs> that was the next thing. Like so, to go back a little bit, his his girlfriend comes home. Uh, she was like away on a trip or something. She comes home, and there's this you know maze in their apartment, and she discovers that he's trapped in it. So she calls her friends, and her, all of her friends come over. They eventually go into the maze, and then it's just about them trying to get out of the maze. And it turns out that it's a very dangerous maze, as several of them get killed. And the first, the first person that dies, I thought it was so funny how... So the, it was... Her, her neck gets, like, sliced. But the way that they did it, I don't know if you saw, but it was like the, um, like the, the, like the zigzag ribbon went across her neck and it was like that was to represent that her neck got cut open and then of course all of the blood there's no actual blood it's all ribbons and confetti which is amazing it's, it's fantastic because there was a point like when that first happens you're like so did and i love how they react too because they're not sure how the mace works either yeah and because like, they yeah she actually de- like her head's not there anymore <laughs> so that she's definitely dead but is she really because it was confetti and i just love how they kept kind of just left that like even at the end it's like maybe yeah like they're not (laughs) even (laughs) like i think those people died oh that that was the one the first kind of issue that i had with the movie was that this is a very kind of oddball comedy and i get that but when one of your friends dies right in front of you, even if you're not exactly sure what's going on, I feel like you would be freaking out more. Like, I feel well, like I think you'd be it, more I think upset. It was, I think it was more because they just didn't take it seriously. Because, like, why would you take it? I mean, yeah. it, it's a cardboard maze. There's no way it's that big. Like, you can't wrap your head around that, first off. Because you're like, wait, it's just in the living room. But yet it's and so also, huge on the inside. They're, they're kind of I lacking. didn't see blood i just see confetti and stuff there's no way that people are dead also their their lack of empathy kind of gets addressed at the end like the one comment that that guy made the guy making the documentary i can't remember exactly what he said to dave but 
meant he mentioned yeah. the fact that all, all of them died. But at any rate, uh, I thought it was really interesting, and they they just they just did a lot of really cool stuff with this. Um, the the scene where they go through the pipe and they come out the other end, and they're all made of paper. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all, all paper bags. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like I thought I liked that a lot. I thought that was funny and. The crazy like vagina paper room where Dave stuck his hand and turned his hand to paper. Yeah, like I didn't hundred percent understand that. No, I don't know. It was some it's kind just, of hypnotic. Yeah, you get thing. you get to a point because once you see like the first couple of rooms, at least for me, I'm like, I I hope there's a shit ton of rooms, and I just want to see what they do with each and every room. Yeah, because they definitely. They make do with cardboard. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah, they do a lot of really cool stuff. I like the the idea of the the temporary wall, which is the just the the, the sheet yeah. that you can put up, and that keeps the Minotaur out. <laughs> oh God! But the yeah, only really... my main issue is that if you look, you know, it's just if you go a little bit deeper, that this is just like another one of those man child mm-hmm. yeah like he's a complete piece of shit and why is she still with him right like, this clear- is ridiculous yeah clearly she's she's the breadwinner she's the one that does being an adult and this yeah, guy's yeah. and like and i'm Playing supposed with- to feel bad for this guy and i don't feel i want them to break up immediately like as soon as she gets done with this just leave him because this guy is ridiculous he's pathetic stop how did he get that much cardboard I don't know. I have no idea. And that was like three, like he was in there for like three days. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Either way, I thought that this was a really interesting movie. This one, I'm sure, will get picked up. This oh, one, definitely. This one will definitely get picked up if it hasn't been already. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that it What's that? It hasn't been. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been. It, it might be by now. I mean, who knows? It just, I think that it just screened. The premiere was last night as of this recording, so uh, I'm sure that this is going to be one that will definitely get picked up because I think that it's just too interesting. I think that it's funny. It made me laugh, uh, and it's this is one that will easily sell very well on VOD. Yeah. So uh, Dave made a maze. I'm going to go ahead and give it a I'll, – I'll do a 7 out of 10 on this one. Well, this is one – I would go like a six and a half, seven. Just the it's just uh, it's the just, rooms I, were so cool. Like uh, yeah, that's just, what I mean. Like if I can just shut my brain off, like don't think about it, Kevin. Don't think about what it implies. Just think about the cardboard rooms and what they did with cardboard. Just think about that, you know. And if I go to that place, yeah, it works. But if I start yeah. to analyze it a bit too much, then I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't like it <laughs> as much. <laughs> but there's no denying that they do so much with cardboard. Yeah, it's really, really, really inventive uh, film, and and like the des- the Minotaur design looks really cool. Just really, really talented people behind this movie for sure. Yeah. So I would I would certainly keep a lookout for Dave Made a Maze because uh, it's it's quite quite interesting. Uh, let's talk about uh, now. Those are the ones that both of us saw not including the shorts. We'll get to those in just a few minutes. Uh, tell me about Kuro, because you this is one that I did not get a chance to see yet. This uh, but, is... But you did see. I saw this 
just recently. I saw this yesterday. So it's still a bit, I want to say a bit too fresh. I'm not 100% sure, you know, how I feel about this one. It's interesting. I'll give it that right off the bat. It is interesting. You have, it's a Japanese woman living in Paris. She's tending to her paraplegic lover. And essentially, it's just her reminiscing, telling stories, right? So the entire movie is voiceover. It's all voiceover. None of the audio matches to what you're seeing image-wise, except for, like, I think two sequences, which I think is just, like, her singing a song and her, like, crying out, kind of. So it's all voiceover, all right? Okay. So you know how I feel about voiceover. Yeah. For me, this works because of kind of how they're doing this is, you know, with her just kind of recounting essentially how they first met, um, the initial stages of their relationship. She talks about how she has this job tending to this old man, Mr. Ono, and things that happen there. And it's it what it really comes down to is it feels a lot like listening to an audiobook, but not entirely because she's speaking Japanese the entire time. So you're, you know, reading the subtitles and then it's like a series of still lifes, static shots. And occasionally, only occasionally is there movement within the frame or does the actual camera move? And it just kind of shows, you know, the home of Mr. Ono, like different rooms and stuff. It shows her taking care of her lover, like brushing his hair doing little exercises with him, kind of like massaging his hands, that type of thing. Um, So again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's really interesting and it's quite different than what I'm used to. And I'm just not a hundred percent sure how I feel about it. Cause the, the story that she tells kind of goes down this like surreal. It just kind of takes this surreal left turn, which just really confused me. I just, I feel as though I missed something and I rewatched and rewatched like the left turn and I'm pretty sure I didn't miss anything, but I still feel as though I missed something because mm. it just, it goes down this route where just, it gets surreal. Like things get weird hmm. and I just don't know what's happening anymore. But uh, like the imagery, pretty spot on. Um, again, for it being just primarily voiceover, I think it works. I just, I, because I think it's so much emphasis is put on the story because you're essentially just listening to a woman recount, like, you know, her history, really. I think with all that weight being on that and that not really living up to being all that, like, captivating or compelling, I think it just, it just falls a little bit short. Mm, okay. And that's Kuro. That's directed by Joji Koyama and Tujiko Noriko. It's so. definitely interesting. It's definitely worth a look. Okay. I saw one. Uh, it's a documentary that's playing Slam Dance called Strad Style. And this is uh, this is an interesting one. I have a review for this up on the site as of right now. Uh, it's about a guy living in this rural town in Ohio who has this kind of obsession with violins. And he his goal is to recreate... Um, Stradivari violins and he eventually gets the opportunity he he meets this guy online who is uh, he's a an up-and-coming violinist very famous I'm not you know super into the 
violin world. So I don't know how famous this guy is, but uh, according to the documentary, he was like huge. Like he's this really big up and coming violinist. And they showed a lot of, well, he does the soundtrack to the movie. And then they showed a lot of like his performances and stuff. And I'm no expert on uh, judging violinists, but he seemed to be pretty, pretty off the hook to me. His name is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Razvan Stoika. So he meets this guy online and the guys, and he asks him, you know, if you could play any violin, what would be the violin that you would want to play with? So he says that he would want to play Guarneri's El Canon, the canon, which is arguably the most famous violin in the world and the most expensive violin in the world. So this guy, his name's Daniel Hauk, he decides that he is going to attempt to make a replica, a one-to-one, 100% accurate replica of this priceless violin mm-hmm. and, give it, and give it to this violinist. And it basically just chronicles the, the process of him trying to make this violin. And it's really, it's really interesting. The, the thing that this has going for it is that the, the lead subject, Daniel Hauk, he's, he's an interesting guy. He's into violins and he's into lowriders. He likes to make lowrider cars. And that's his, that, those, those are his two hobbies. And so he's, he's kind of an interesting guy. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't even have enough money to keep the heat on in his house. He lives on this farm, this big, big farmhouse that has no heat, uh, which okay. if you've ever been to o- Ohio during the winter, it gets pretty brutal. Um, and he pretty much lives in, in solitude. He has no friends, really. Um, but he occasionally meets up with his cousin, who's this... His cousin, I said in the review, they could make a movie out, uh, about his cousin, and I would watch it because this guy is so weird. Like, he, he, he goes to his cousin's house, and he walks in, and the guy's like, his cousin's like, I should do a tarot card reading for you. And he just randomly does this tarot card reading. And then they're talking about violins. And he's like, how much, uh, how much does a violin cost? Like a new violin. He's like, oh, what? It's like $5,000 or something. And he's like, yeah, I was looking online. And like high-end, high-end sex dolls cost like five or $6,000. So it's like comparable to that. And it was just, just some of the weird stuff. This guy is such a character. He was, he was hilarious. Uh, but o- overall, it was... A pretty good underdog story. It sort of reminded me of American movie in a lot of ways, but not as exploitative. Like I love American movie, but I do, you know, a lot of the criticisms about that are that the filmmakers were sort of exploiting those, those two guys. And this movie doesn't feel like that at all. Like it, it feels like it is, it is a very kind documentary. Um, And that might've been, one of the sort of criticisms I had with it is that I wanted to know more about this guy's backstory. Like how did he end up living by himself in this giant farmhouse? And like, I just wanted to know more about what brought him to his place, you know, now. And I don't know if that was stuff that was probably, it could have been too personal that they didn't want to include in the film, but I thought that it would have, cause it, as much as, as it is sort of this underdog story of this guy trying to do this kind of very artisan, very niche thing, uh, it was also kind of a character study on this guy. And I 
sort of wanted them to to delve a little bit more more deeply into uh his him as a character and and what what drives him and what motivates him and more but uh overall it was it was really entertaining really interesting uh slightly heartwarming documentary it's called strad style okay uh let's talk about some of the short films that are playing slam dance we only we only got to see a couple of these so far uh the first one was brad cuts loose this is the new one by christopher good uh this one stars kentucker oddly and tipper newton what'd you think of this one? Oh, that was hilarious it's so ridiculous <laughs> It's so fucking ridiculous. I lo- just his, uh, <laughs> I work hard, and I would like to, just and I would like to start playing considerably harder. Yes, I just that whole, and again, that's this is what I love about Christopher Good, right? Because it's such a small scene. It's just them, it's like what they're like lunch break or something. They go out yeah. and check this guy's new ride. I it's like it. BMW sports car, but he does. You know, there's like nine different. Thing. there's overhead there's tracking shot there's a still shot they cut when everyone's like we work hard you know they cut 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 to everyone's face saying we work hard and you know then the camera pulls up real close to Kentucker as he writes down play hard in his little notebook <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean it's such a small seed and it just it's so overly complicated it's ridiculous but I to me that's just that's what makes it so funny to me. And even the opening where you just have the person that's walking through the cubicles and dumping the papers onto mm-hmm. and you know, his reaction just kind of building and building and building yeah. until he like loses his fucking mind. And, yeah, I love I love this one. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, just and his fantasy. His fantasy is so ridiculous. <laughs> Rolling the tire over you. <laughs> And just the way he reacts when he makes the phone call of just how excited he is that is this really the service that you provide? And once he finds out, he kind of does the jump, Mm -hmm. the jump run, like, yes, in the air. And then, you know, the fact I just everything about it is so ridiculous. Yeah, I love the I love the the way that he happened upon the site about how like when he's at the bar trying to meet women. And he's overhearing that conversation. He's trying to inject himself into this conversation about how this this girl was like telling her friend about some something, and then all of a sudden ads started showing up on her on her phone or her computer, or whatever, because she thinks that her phone was listening to her, and just how he tries to inject himself into that conversation and where it ends up, and and then the fact that all of a sudden on his computer that that exact thing that's that very specific fantasy shows up it's so specific too yeah and i just love that he didn't even consider the type of sledge that comes out of her mouth (laughs) because there's so many different sledges to choose from oh god and i just just the creativity to it all too like the the way that he shoots his morning routine. Oh my god, you know? that was amazing. Where everything gets dumped on him. <laughs> I mean, that's just it's perfect. Yeah. I love it. I love oh my god. I can tell you right now, that is the perfect representation of my morning routine every day. <laughs> it is the absolute perfect. Everything just gets dumped on me and then I go to work. He just he wants to play considerably harder. 
than what he's currently doing. That's his whole thing. Oh god. I mean just think of yeah, I, I, mean, I wanna I just wanna go rewatch it now. You know, I watched it three times. Alright. And I, with this coupled with his mud jacking, I mean to me Christopher Good's the best comedic director working right I, now. I know. I just like I want is. I want him to come out with more and more and more stuff. Shorts, features, and, whatever. I just need more. Yeah, whatever it is, just do it. And the other thing that, and he's not utilized as much in comedies, but Kentucky Audley needs to be in more comedies. I know he's really funny. I I love his delivery. His delivery. comedic delivery is he is on point. Oh God! Uh, yeah, Brad it cuts made, loose. It, keep it made keep me want to do. It made me want to do two things. It made me want, well, three things, really. It made me want to immediately rewatch Brad Cuts Loose, which I did twice. It makes me want to go back and rewatch Mutt Jacking. Yeah. And it makes me want to watch Bad Fever, which is another comedy that Kentucky's in. It's kind of, kind of the same character, but in Bad Fever, he's much more pathetic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Brad Cuts Loose. Definitely keep that one on your radar. Hopefully that'll end up on Vimeo or something relatively soon because it is it is a must watch and we'll we'll be sure to put it up on the site as soon as it's made publicly available the other one that we saw yeah, was was uh matthew wade's latest short called plena stellarum this is the guy that did um how the sky will melt which we covered Correct. which we covered a while ago uh what did what did you think about this one very this, different very different <laughs> than how the sky will melt very very an, different this is an animated film this is that yeah it's an animated film um again this is one of those things where as i'm watching them i'm just thinking to myself i'm not entirely sure what this is you know i'm don't struggling know with that and i i don't i don't know if there's any kind of way to i it the I synopsis think, like, just says neon ghosts dreaming in dead landscapes which i mean it it's that it is that I guess. And I think that's part of what makes me admire things like this is where I don't have anything to, there's no comparison point for something like this. Yeah. I can't sit here and say, Oh, it's like such and such, or, you know, you kind of think of it like this meets that, you know, if you want to do that lazy reductive shit, cause I don't, I don't know what it is and I don't know if there's anything else like it. Well, I don't know what it is either, but I also don't care because when something looks this good and sounds this good, I'm cool with it. It's, like this, yeah, the, it creates this weird mood. It's just, especially like the sound design to it, the music, or you know, it's just it's creepy. Well, plus the fact that it's all presented as a video game, you know, I was I was on board from that from that moment. Which it to me, it just immediately reminded me of NES Castlevania. I don't know why. Yeah, it definitely has a Castlevania vibe. I just I wanted to jump and hit those neon ghosts with my my whip. I just mm-hmm, jump mm-hmm. and hit them. Little Simon Belmont jump, action. Duck, jump, hit them. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those two that like with that mind of not knowing what this is, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to talk about. Yeah, I yeah I don't, I don't really know what to say about it other than that it's a lot of really cool, interesting visuals. I don't know how he made this movie, but it looks amazing. Like just the animation is, yeah, I, I loved it. How everything kind of had that glow to mm-hmm. it. Uh, it just it it looked very. I don't want to say authentic because it doesn't. 
necessarily look like an actual video game, but it just it had that kind of vibe to it. It has, yeah, it kind of has this vibe of an 8-bit video game on a really old shitty TV. It almost reminds me of, uh, there was this this computer that came out, I think it was only in the UK, called the ZX Spectrum. And it was, it was like an early, it was like an early personal computer. And it had, I think like six colors or something to it. And the way that they did it was they used overlays. So like, uh, certain areas of the screen would have certain colors. And it almost reminded me of that, how this is, there's only, there's really only kind of like black, red, purple, and that's, that's your color palette. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But either way, I was I was loving this one. Uh, I think that coming in at twelve minutes uh, is a good length because anything more, I probably would have started yeah. getting yeah. getting antsy with it. Yeah, because you almost it it kind of has this feel where it just feels more like an experiment on his part, like him just trying out some things. Right, right. Actual, you know, like a short feature, just more of a just but like trying things out. Just experimenting a little bit, which Definitely. I think does work at the 12 minute. Yep. Uh, it still makes me want to drink in everything that Matthew Wade does as well, just because it's, he's really trying new things. And uh, yeah, I'm all about that. So that is Plenus Delorum. Closing thoughts on Slam Dance 2017. Now, I know that we're still early in the festival and. I'll definitely be seeing some some more stuff there uh, before it's over. But what are your what's your take on Slam Dance 2017? Uh, I'll kind of echo what you said earlier. Where I think this might be Slam Dance so far. I think I think offer wise, you know, everything that I've seen for the most part has been worthwhile. Even though I was kind of you know it's kind of light on withdrawn but there was still enough there. And like I kind of said earlier, where these things are different. <laughs> like, I don't know what Plenum's Solarum is. I don't know what that is. Um, Dim the Fluorescence, I was not expecting that. Uh, Kuro, I'm still not 100% sure what that is. I don't know if I've seen that before. It's just, it's things that kind of like catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. Where you kind of used to, you you know, we've been doing this for a while. We've seen so many films where you go into a film and just judging by who the director is or what the genre is or what the synopsis is, you kind of have an idea what to expect. It's pretty, and usually films kind of stick to that. But I think when you get into slam dance territory, the, the, I mean, they're, they kind of defy expectations. Yeah, these are, this is a film festival that's that's not afraid to take risks and just throw stuff out there and, you know, see what happens and support these kind of uh, like renegade, you know, new filmmakers that are just, they don't really care about whether or not this is going to sell. They, they just want to get their, their ideas out there. And that's, that's why slam dance is just such a great festival. And I, I think that, you know, there've been some really, really great movies that have come out of slam dance. Certainly. I mean, um, the Dirties is a good example that I can think of that that premiered at Slam Dance. Well, then and, you had what um, uh, if there's a Hell Below from last year, yeah, which we just did recently. Yeah, I mean, uh, every every year there's at least one or two standouts 
but this year, this was this was the year where I felt like everything was just it was like of a higher quality. There's, I mean, usually when I cover slam dance, there's a lot of them are just like, eh, there are, eh, that was okay, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I felt like this year, the the just the quality of uh, the films featured has been uh, higher than ever before. Yeah. Um, so good on you, slam dance. Keeping up with, you know, it's it's got to be hard to be competing against Sundance every year. And I think that they're a really great organization to be still doing this after so many years. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about someone we're watching on the watch list. I only have one to talk about. Yeah. And that's called uh, Lair of the White Worm. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. I've been interested in this one. How this is um, this directed by Ken Russell. Uh, I'm covering this uh, as part of the Vestron Collectors series. Uh, as far as I know, and I apologize in advance to the people at Lionsgate if there's some sort of embargo on this because I didn't see anything about it. So I'm going to talk about it. This comes out on Blu-ray uh, the 31st, I believe. Um, so this is directed by Ken Russell. It came out in 1988. Uh, it stars uh, Amanda Donahoe and Hugh Grant. Catherine Oxenberg and uh, Peter Capaldi. This is an interesting one. So it's based on the unfinished last novel by Bram Stoker. And it's that novel is called Lair of the White Worm. And it's about this uh, woman who is this immortal snake person. And she worships this like uh snake this giant worm snake thing and she has to feed it sacrifices uh i suppose every year and hugh grant and his friends start to kind of uncover this what she's doing and she goes after one of them and it's really weird it's just a weird kind of oddball there's this this level of humor in it that's just very uh very strange uh ken russell's kind of known for his oddball humor he's the guy that did uh, yeah. tommy and gothic and this one it's like he he does this kind of bram stoker story but he has amanda donahoe is the she's the the villain she's the bad guy she's this kind of snake snake queen lady and he just has her she's got this kind of wry wit to her and she's just constantly quoting Oscar Wilde, which I thought was really interesting how there, was, there were so many references to Oscar Wilde in this. And it's just a weird movie. I had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's very 80s. Not quite as 80s as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. But Didn't 80s, not... the 80s that you were looking for. You know, I, I, I prefer the rampant consumerist valley girl 80s you know gotcha. whereas this this takes place in the english countryside mm-hmm. so this is more like a like a dry bbc comedy yeah 80s, 80s were kinda, you know 80s were kind of boring then yeah in that area but it is uh it, it's uh it's one worth watching i'd say the the effects certainly don't hold up but they're still fun in a in a kind of cheesy sort of way and um, yeah, I would definitely check it out. The Blu-ray is pretty good. I've never seen this before, so I can't say if the 
quality yeah. of this new remastered edition is any better than any previous releases. Uh, but it seemed pretty good to me. It wasn't any kind of like 4K restoration or anything like that, but the yeah. quality was was good. So Lair of the White but Worm uh, coming out on the Vestron collection on the 31st. I can't wait to see that one. Pretty excited. Uh, I have one. We'll do a one for one. I watched uh, Into the Forest. Now this is from Patricia Razima, uh, who did I've Heard the Mermaid Saying, which I did see. Love that movie. Um, when I watched Into the Forest, I didn't know that this was her. This was just a movie that my wife picked, threw it on. I didn't know anything about it. What I thought, I thought this movie was The Forest, the horror movie one uh-huh. that came out recently. Yeah. I thought it was that movie, right? So for the first 30 to 40 minutes, I was really confused because there is a forest, but no one's lost and like no one's looking for someone in the forest. And there's even two sisters, but they're together all the time. So I'm just like, when does one get lost in the forest? And when does they start looking for? I don't understand this movie. It's taken a really long time to get going. Well, it turns out it's not that movie. This is some sort of like future, like near future where they're having these power outages on like the on like the the Pacific Northwest. All right. So it's two sisters, their dad, something happens to their dad. Now it's just the two sisters trying to survive. This is a movie that just never goes anywhere and it never starts. It's just it's constantly starting and it's Mm. just spinning its wheels going nowhere. So and then there's a couple of things that just don't really make too much sense. One, power goes out, all right? Now they live in this beautiful home. I mean, it's ridiculous out in the middle of the woods. It's so modern. Oh, my God. And within like five months, six months of not having power, their roof is just shit. There's just leaking water everywhere, okay? Now, you look at the home. You know it's a modern home. You know that it was built not too long ago. And apparently they didn't know how to make roofs because this thing is a piece of shit. But I don't understand how losing power affects your roof construction. I don't know. That That's a good question. It plays a big part. Like they can't live there anymore because the roof's falling apart and they end up getting black mold because of all the rain and stuff. And it's just like, do something to your roof. Okay. And then nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens for a really long time. So they just, one of the sisters gets raped out of nowhere. Like they just, a guy shows up and he's like, hey, I'm just going to wait for your dad to get back. Bam rapes her i spoiled the movie don't worry it sucks don't watch it wow so then that just happens out of nowhere and you're just like oh okay so we're that movie now and then just he leaves and just them surviving again and they end up having to go out into the woods to survive and a question again is they were not able to keep care of their rice because the rice gets maggots and worms in it so they're unable to eat this rice that they have so you're unable to keep, again, keeping your rice dry does not involve electricity. So it doesn't matter your situation. You should be able to keep your rice dry, but you weren't able to do that. And now I'm supposed to believe that you're going to go out into the wilderness and take care of yourselves. I don't see it happening. I'm sorry. It's just nothing happens in this movie. And that's into the forest. Avoid. Waste of time. Waste Avoid. of time. That's unfortunate. All right, let's talk about some predictions. Last week, Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, you said 42, I said 36, actual 42, right on the money. Cool. Yeah. Nice. The Founder, you said 73, I said 72, actual 82. 
Wow. Okay. S- split. You said ten. <laughs> I said sixty-eight. Actual seventy-six. Wow. People are. I've actually heard like nothing but good things. They're kind loving that split. They're loving that split. Next week we have Resident That's Evil: fine. The Final Chapter. Sure? I'll say uh, I'm going to say twenty-one on that. Mm. I'm going to say thirty. I'm sure it's going to be a nightmare. A dog's purpose. <laughs> Yeesh. What are you thinking on this one? Mm. Are, are people actually going to go see it? I have no idea. I'm I'm not, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge dog lover. But but I mean, with what's came out recently, you know what I mean? Like, shouldn't this be boycotted 100%? I'll say but, zero. I'll say three. Uh, and then we have... <laughs> <laughs> Three is somehow funnier than a zero. I know. Because <laughs> you just think of that one person. Yeah. You know what I mean? That one person that's like, I like this. I really like this movie. Compared to, you know, everyone else that just hated it. Uh, gold. This is the one with Matthew McConaughey about gold. This is, really? This is uh, directed by the guy that did Syriana. And uh, they just announced this week that he's going to be directing The Division which is an adaptation of the recent video game. Oh, okay. And it's going to star Jessica Chastain and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, Gold, I will say 76. Mm, I'm going to say 68. In limited release next week, we have Bastards. We have The Daughter, Behemoth, uh, The Salesman. Uh, The Salesman is one that... uh, it's getting a lot of buzz. I think that's, uh, I don't know if that's on the short list for foreign language film at the Oscars. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, I know that that's getting a lot of buzz. Maybe we'll cover that next week. Who knows? Uh, let's see what else do we have. Paris, 559, Theo and Hugo. Not sure what that's all about. I got a couple emails about that. Lost in Florence, awful cover. Sophie and the Rising Sun. Kung Fu Yoga, Get the Girl, <laughs> Kung Fu Yoga, The Age of Consequences, Midsummer in Newtown, that one, uh, got, some, got some emails about that one too, uh, and that's pretty much it for limited releases, oh, I Am Michael, I Am Michael comes out, that's the, uh, that's the one with James Franco and um, Zachary Quinto about the, tells the true story of the guy who like finds god and turns straight or something hmm. okay okay yeah sounds like it's not worth <laughs> worth my time <laughs> yeah maybe not not really sure uh vod next week let's see what we got on the old vod calendar doesn't look like we have a whole lot we have beware the slender man which is going to be on hbo tomorrow I'm, i'll probably check that out that's the documentary about uh, those, the two girls that well, they stabbed oh, yeah. the other girl, yeah, because, because of Slenderman. I know, I, I'm Slenderman. Really interested in that. Uh, a patch of fog comes out on the 24th, and then Friday we have Lost in Florence, The Sunshine Makers, and I Am Michael. Okay. Blu-ray right. next week. We have mm. the the light between oceans. Heard that was bad. Yeah, I didn't hear good things. USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. That's the incredible Nicolas Cage one. The Monster, which is the one with the Zoe Kazan. It's not great. 
Inferno. That's the the uh, Da Vinci Code one that's supposedly very terrible. We have Blood Rage from 1987 coming out on Arrow, as well as <laughs> as well as Takeshi Miike's Black Society trilogy. Nice from uh, 1995. That's exciting. I like that. Uh, that's pretty much it for the most part. What do we have on the Criterion front? We have one Criterion, and that's 1966 Black Girl. Finally getting uh, some more African titles on Criterion. Nice. I think this is only like their second, second, maybe third African title. Hmm. About damn time. This is another one of, um, it's a restoration from uh, the Film Foundation's uh, World Cinema Project. So, oh, okay. Mr. Scorsese. And you'll be covering that one, yes? I will be, yes. Hopefully I can find the time to squeeze all that in. Hmm, very exciting. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for just $1 a month or more if you want. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.